Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, we're pressing into James chapter 2 today and um, going to be talking about uh, some age-old problems among people. Uh, again, I'm just struck with how practical James writes and how frankly he writes about what happens when people get together, um, even Christian people. And the, the challenge uh, we're going to talk today about is particularly the sin of, of partiality or prejudice. It can go by many names. And it's kind of cool where he identifies this problem taking place, and it's in the assembly. It's in while the Christians are meeting to gather to worship God, apparently there is a problem of partiality taking place in that moment. So I think it's kind of cool that that's where it's happening, and so he addresses it right then and there. Yeah, well, not cool that it's happening. Right, but then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but cool that, like, there's that problem there that I think happens even today as well. That's right. What I, mean. I mean, you talk about um, just relevance. Yes. And uh, this is just such a helpful text. So let's read together first, uh, James chapter 2. We're picking up in verses 1 through 7, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So James starts this section off with, my brethren. We've seen him use that phrase a few different times in chapter 1. He's very close with these brethren. And I think it's really cool that he starts off by saying, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. So We'll just kind of paint the picture that he gives for us in verses 2 through 7. And then I want to back up and talk about the way he describes Jesus here because I think it's relevant. So he kind of gives us this ideal situation where there's this church assembly. Everyone's kind of gathered together. And if you're listening and been to a church assembly, you know people kind of have their habits, right? Uh, I think about our local assembly. People have the seats that they sit in. and But especially back in that day as well, I think there would have been people who were sitting and standing. There were good seats. There were bad seats. And it seemed to be kind of a, a thing that was going on in that day. I think about Jesus talking about the Pharisees who would like sit in the good seats. You know, that's what they wanted yeah. um, here. But nonetheless, if you can imagine standing in the back of the assembly as different visitors come in and there's this guy who's like really rich and maybe he's notable in the community. He's got gold ring. He just looks really, really well off. And you're like, oh, you know, come sit over here. Look, we've got this nice seat for you. You know, that's maybe a, he'll leave a nice contribution. Yeah, exactly. Let's just make sure we treat him, treat him the right way. And then coming in right after him is a guy who's kind of smelly. Uh, maybe he's come off the street. Um, he's poor, very obviously not like the other guy. And you kind of say to him, hey, uh, just 
go go stand over there you know go go sit at my footstool and the point is you're treating these two men two completely different ways based off of just how they look that is what partiality is that's what showing personal favoritism is like and the reason why I want to kind of back up look at that and then go back to verse 1 is what does he call Jesus here our glorious Lord Jesus Christ James isn't in a discussion on like who Jesus is in this moment, but he uses one adjective to describe Jesus, glorious. Where did Jesus come from? He came from heaven. I mean, think about the splendor uh, the splendor and grand majesty that Jesus had while he was in heaven, the glories of heaven, and then he came down here to live as a man. I mean, all he had to his name was his clothes on his back when he died. And yet, Jesus was glorious. It wasn't the outside appearance that mattered. It was what was on the inside. And so I think that's why James chooses to use this word here, um, is to emphasize the fact that Jesus himself was glorious, but he didn't look that way. Yeah, and I mean, Isaiah says specifically he didn't have any form or majesty that we should desire him. If he walked into an assembly, you wouldn't be like, oh, you know, come sit at the nice place. You know, clearly you're, I mean, he's a carpenter from Nazareth. He was a poor man. Um and so I think it's also interesting here that he notes that partiality is not just kind of like a, a bonus points Christian uh, virtue. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, like make sure you go to church and like don't, you know, sleep around or, you know, cuss and steal and stuff. But if you, you've got some prejudice, you know, like that's not that big of a deal. I mean, he starts out in verse one saying, this is the way that we hold our faith. Do not hold your faith in the Lord Jesus with partiality. Um, this is a this is a core concept. Like how we treat each other is central to the gospel message, and we can't treat it like it's a peripheral thing. If we're showing partiality, if we're showing favoritism and prejudice, then we're not following the faith of Jesus Christ. We're not following the body of teaching that He gave because He He comes to tell us yes how to relate to God, yes how to worship. But if in the very moment we're getting together to worship, we're showing favoritism and partiality, we're, we're, we're cutting our legs out from under us. It's like we're showing people come in and they say, well, these people are just like the world. They, they don't treat everybody the same. I can tell, you know. And let me say, this is just a challenge. Um, I mean, it's easy for us to tell ourselves, oh, I don't, I, I'm not prejudiced. But really, I mean, it happens on all sorts of different levels. Here, he focuses on the economic level. Here's a rich guy, here's a poor guy. But that's not the only way to show partiality. Um, You can show partiality because of the color of someone's skin. You can show partiality because of the country that someone was born in or the state that someone was born in, because of the way they talk, because of the job that they have or don't have, because of the education that they have or don't have, because of the schooling style, uh, homeschooled, public school. I mean, like, you just fill in the blank, like... There are all sorts of ways that we can show favoritism and partiality. And we really have to check our hearts when we come to this passage because it's so easy to initially go to, well, I know I don't discriminate based on these factors. But man, it's so, Satan is so sneaky in getting us to be blind to our own kind of partiality. And we just have to be on guard and really make an extra effort to make sure that we are not even subconsciously showing favoritism because we tend to want to be around the people that 
are similar to us right in appearance in life in economics and the way we talk whatever um we gravitate toward people i mean then you can do like i'm sure there have been social experiments done with this kind of thing like you put a bunch of people in a room from all different kinds and what's going to happen they're going to kind of naturally gravitate to their subgroups and to an extent when it's not wrong to want to talk with people that you're comfortable around. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But if that becomes a spirit of favoritism, we are sh- actively showing favor to those who are different than us. We are no longer walking with the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, this is kind of the age-old problem that man has had. If you just look through Bible history, where we're not a very good judge of people on the outside, are we? Um, I think about when Israel and 1 Samuel decided that they wanted a king. And God says, fine, I'll give you a king. That's all right. And they go and they find Saul, of course. And he's tall, handsome, looks good, and looks like he's going to be the great king. But that doesn't work out. He's very clearly not a good leader. They were looking at the outward appearance. And then when God sends Samuel to find the replacement, God chooses David, a man after his own heart. David was out there shepherding, right? And all of the brothers of Jesse were paraded in. And, of course, none of them were God's choice. And God says to Samuel in that moment, I do not see as man sees. I look at the heart. And that, I think, has been a problem of mankind for for years, where we don't look at the heart of somebody. Um, We are only judging them by their outward appearance. And for Christians, that cannot stand, that cannot last. Um, That is not how we are to act. And we're going to get into this in just a little bit, but James is very clear later in verse 9, if you show partiality, you are committing sin. Like it it is very clearly a sinful thing to do. That's right. And I think it's interesting he says in verse 4, if you're acting in this way, you know, you sit over here, you sit over there. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Like that's what's at the heart of this. Jesus is always trying to get to the heart, and partiality and prejudice comes from the heart. It comes from our evil thinking, where we've now become judges of people. Well, I know what kind of person you are because of the way you're dressed, because of the way you look. And he says, we got to uproot that evil thinking from inside of us. The fact is, we don't know what people are like. The Lord can see people's hearts. We, it takes us time to get to know people. And we need to be really careful about making... Well, and really, the word prejudice, right, is a prejudice, <laughs> prejudging is the idea, uh, a prejudicial proceeding um, where we're passing judgment before we know. And it's so easy to do that. We've got to guard our hearts and minds, our thoughts. I mean, and, and sometimes we, we might not show it outwardly, but we have to think in my heart when I see someone with a particular appearance or a particular background or whatever, what is the first thing that goes through my head? Am I becoming a judge with evil thoughts? And, and that's a rigorous test we have to just constantly be on guard about because it's easy for thoughts to creep in that like, oh, well, like this type of person tends to be this way. And, and they, so that must be the way this person. And right. like, no, like we can't. We have to guard against that. That tendency. Well, and what we're doing is we're saying, well, this type of person, they're traditionally doing blah, 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 blah. And I know that they're not going to want to change. I know they're not going to want to do that. What? Who? You're not the judge. You know, you don't get to make that decision. Your job is just to take the gospel message to them. It's up to them to want to change or not. You don't get to make all those judgments. Um, what really stands out to me, too, is, well, uh, in verse 4, um, uh, sorry, in verse 5, 
Listen, my blood brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? And we went through this in the Gospel of Mark um, and also talked about this some in the Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew chapter 19, one of the things Jesus will say is, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And of course, the disciples hear this and are astonished and say, Well, then who can be saved? And I don't think Jesus is saying it's impossible for a rich person to go into heaven. But the point he's trying to make is, is someone who has riches on this earth, there are a lot of things in their way that are going to tempt them to put their trust in those things and not in the Lord. There's more stuff in the way. There's more stuff they are going to have to get out of the way so that they can fully trust him. But instead, who we see Jesus going to, as he talked about and read from the scroll of Isaiah in Luke 4, is he's going to the poor, the downtrodden, those who are oppressed. Those are the people that Jesus will go and preach to. And in like manner in the book of Acts, that seems to be the type of people that the disciples and the apostles are going to preach to as well. Yeah. And it's largely the people who are not so distracted. Right. I mean, Jesus talks about the thorny ground, about the riches of this life, the cares of this life. And um, it's challenging for rich people to see the value of the kingdom. And, um, and and we mentioned this last week. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Right. And Luke he just says, "Blessed are the poor." Right. And woe to you who are rich now. Um, and again, not that there are things inherently wrong with possessions. It's what we're doing with them. We're going to talk more about this in chapter five of James, because he's going to talk more about hoarding and like how we're using our riches. The other thing I love about verse five is kind of the play on words that James is using. God chose the poor of this world to be rich in mm-hmm. faith. It's all how you look at it, right? Um, and Paul will do this as well. Like, well, you're poor, but you're not really poor. You are rich. That's right. You, you have so much to be thankful for in Jesus Christ. That's the point here. And he said that back in chapter 1, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That's right. And, um, and he points out here the typical treatment of the rich toward the poor. Um, isn't it the rich that oppress you and drag you into court and blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Um, again, it seems like in passages like this that James is primarily writing to those who are poor in this book. Uh, we don't know his entire audience, but um, he points out, listen, like in your assembly, if you start showing you know, favoritism and partiality toward the rich, but you forget that it is oftentimes that the rich that are the ones persecuting you. They're the ones coming after you and dragging you into court and doing these things. Um, why are you doing this? You're, it's worldly thinking that leads you to show favoritism in this way, economically, in this context. And so he, he points this out to show them how really ridiculous it is when we show favoritism like this, that uh, we're looking past a lot of things that we need to be thinking about. Uh, when we show personal favoritism. Well, he also says that these are people who blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called. And I think another way to look at that is is they're selling out. They're selling out the Lord um, when they're trying to align themselves with these people to try and get something out of it. They're they're double-minded in, the, in that moment. Mm-hmm. And James says that's that's not okay. You know, you got to cut that out. Yeah, amen. So this is going to kind of give way to the next section where he's still going to talk about partiality, but he's going to zoom out a little bit and put partiality or prejudice into a larger context where it's talking about the law of God and, yeah. and how we how we submit to God's law. Yeah, let's go ahead and read that. I'm going to read verses 8 through 13 from the New American Standard Bible. 
If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so act, as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So it's kind of cool here. I like the terms that James uses for the law, which I think the law here, he's talking about scripture, about the word from God. And of course, the New Testament still being written. It would all be included in that. But it's particularly thinking about the Old Testament, the, the laws of God. Um, but any rule of God, he talks about the royal law in verse 8, which is kind of cool. Um, and then he calls it in verse 12, the law of liberty. Um, he, we mentioned this, I think, last week um, at the end of chapter 1 in James 1.25. He calls it the perfect law, the law of liberty. And so just thinking about this for just a minute, that this rule of loving your neighbor as yourself is part of the royal law. It's from the king. Yes. It is. That's what my footnote is, is law of our king. Yeah. And I really like that. Because who's our king? Jesus. That's that, right. That's who the king is. One in verse one, he said, your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. He's the king. And so if you're really fulfilling the law of the king, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, man, how many of Jesus' teachings and the teachings in the New Testament come back to that one bedrock principle when you're showing partiality, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. That is the principle behind so much of this. Yeah. And just apply it to the previous example he gave. All right, if you're someone that's poor and you're walking into this assembly for the first time, do you really want to walk in behind the rich guy that they've just seated at the really nice seat and then you get seated at someone's foot? No, like that is not at all what you would want to go through. You want to think about how you would want to be treated in those instances and then act that out when you treat other people. And this goes back to, you guessed it, the Sermon on the Mount, That's where right. Jesus says that the golden rule, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Right. And um, same thing here. And all of this stems from the Old Testament. And it's, it's fascinating to me that this is the, the book of Leviticus, right. you know, a book that uh, we don't perhaps read in its entirety a whole lot, but right there from the beginning when God makes a covenant with Israel, he says, this is the principle I want you to live by. Love your neighbor like you would love yourself. You know intrinsically how to love yourself. And love your neighbor like that. Think about them. Think about it from their perspective and what you would want them to do to you. And do that to them. And, and he, so he points out, uh, if you show partiality, you're convicted under the law. <laughs> like, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. Partiality is part of, well, not showing partiality, is part of loving your neighbor. And you're violating one of the greatest commands. I mean, Jesus said, rule number one, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Rule number two, love your neighbor as right. yourself. You're breaking one of the big two if you show partiality. So if I'm understanding 10 and 11 correctly, Stephen, is James making the point, look, just because you keep one part of the law but don't keep another doesn't make you okay, right? So just because you didn't commit adultery but you did commit murder, 
you're a transgressor, you've disobeyed. And is he making the point about partiality here as well? Like, That's just exactly because you right. don't murder, just because you don't adultery, or whatever, <laughs> adultery, I just made that a verb, but just because you don't do that, doesn't mean you're not a sinner if you're showing partiality. That's exactly right. And I mean, this is the challenge for religious people, right? Is we look at the rules that God has given, and they're very real rules, we have to keep them. And they're the ones that are easy for us to keep. Oh, good. I haven't killed anybody. Whew. Okay, like I'm feeling good. And then the ones that are hard for us to keep. And what do we do? We harp on the ones that are easy for yep. us to keep. And we kind of sweep under the rug a little bit the ones that we have a hard time with. And he, James is saying, you can't pick and choose from the law. If you fail in one point, you're still a lawbreaker. You might not break the same law as somebody else. But that's another way that we show partiality, isn't it? Is that we, we tend to say, well, you're a lawbreaker in a different way than I am, so I'm somehow better than you. And, and the, the, by the way, the, the wrong response to that is to throw up your hands and say, oh, we're all lawbreakers, so we don't have to address any of it. That's not the answer. The answer is to address all of it. To address first, like Jesus said, get the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye that otherwise we're judging with hypocritical judgment, Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. But um, this is the challenge for religious people, I mean, maybe for everybody, but for those who want to follow God's law, it is to actually follow all of it. And he says, if you, if you, if you break one part of the law, you've, you've broken the whole thing. I mean, that's wonderful that you haven't you know, murdered somebody, but if you commit adultery, you're still a lawbreaker. And I think, as you pointed out, Chase, the point here is, Maybe you are keeping all the laws about worship and the laws about uh, you know, personal uh, holiness and, and your conduct and things like that. But if you're showing partiality in your life, you're breaking the same law of liberty, the same royal law that says don't murder and don't commit adultery. Yeah, and you pointed it out in some ways, a, a law that is, I don't want to say bigger and better than these other two, but he is saying like, this one's really, really important, and yet you're sweeping it under the rug. You're acting like you don't need to obey that. And this is also, partiality is just one of those sins that I think can slip into your everyday life without you even realizing it. Um, it, it. It can be sometimes a lifetime or an upbringing of treating a certain person or group of people a certain way. And what we have to realize as Christians is that has to stop immediately. And isn't that true of any sin? We, we might have been doing it or been involved with it for such a long time. But when it's revealed to us that we ought not be doing that, we don't try to wean ourselves off of it. It's got to stop. Um, I think a very obvious one outside of just the um, rich and poor here, but that we see in scriptures between Jew and Gentile. Mm -hmm. um, I love to use Peter as an example here. Um, in Acts 2, Peter will say and even quote from Joel saying that this promise, the Holy Spirit, it's going to be for everybody of all people. But it's not until Acts 10, whenever he has this vision from God and then goes to Cornelius' household, that he actually understands that God is not one to show what? Partiality. Partiality. He uses that word in Acts chapter 10. But then in Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells us this story where Peter stumbles and he's holding himself one way with the Jews and another way with the Gentiles. And he's actually not being so nice to the Gentiles because he wants to look cool in front of the Jews. And Paul will say in Galatians 2 that he had to oppose Cephas or Peter to his face because he stood condemned. That's right. Here was a man who knew the right thing but wasn't doing it. It was a lifetime of prejudice that he had had that had creeped back into his life and someone had to call him out for it. 
Yes, and I like the way it says it there um, in Galatians 2.14. By the way, the story we're referring to is Galatians 2.11-14, if you want to read all of that. But in verse 14, Paul writing says, When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, and then he, he rebukes him. Um, man, this is a uh, something that is worthy of calling out. Uh, yes. When Amen. we see it and it's real, we call it out. And we say, you can't act like this. You can't live like this. You're showing partiality. And that is not in step with the truth of the gospel. And, and that's hard for us. Again, like you mentioned, it's it's we can become blind to it because it's been built into our lives or the lives of people around us. And we need to be open to correction on this. We need to be people who carefully listen and say, hey, am, am I showing favoritism? Am I showing partiality? If so, please show me. I, I can be blind to that. I, I uh, admit there are many sins that I'm blind to in my life. And I need to be humble in considering my own actions and in considering how I uh, react when I, perhaps I'm accused of something. Um, I, I like what he says here um, in verse 12. This is returning to James 2, 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The law of liberty, this phrase is really fascinating. Um, because when you think about law, you think about what? You think about restrictions. Mm-hmm. When you think about liberty, you think about the Freedom. opposite of that. Right. Not, not rules. Liberty. Yeah, I have liberty to do this. <laughs> um, but the law of liberty. Wait a minute. You know, the, the rule of freedom. You know, like, what are you talking about? But that really is what a great way to describe God's law. Is that when we follow God's law, guess what God's law says? Love your neighbor as yourself. When we live by that principle, it frees us from the problems that sin and partiality and other kinds of greed and selfishness create in our lives. If you want to be free to really live the way God wants you to live by his wisdom, that's going to set you free. Jesus says, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. That's a beautiful way to live. But it does require following rules. And the rule in this case is stop with the partiality. And that's hard. But if I do the hard work of submitting to God's royal law, the law of the king, it does become to me the law that sets me free. I'm now free from evil thinking. I've, I've uprooted that in my heart and my mind. That's, a, that's an ongoing process. I'm not saying this is a one and done kind of thing. I go, well, repentant of prejudice. Don't have to deal with that anymore. Like, no, like it's an ongoing thing in our hearts. Sin is always working its way in and we got to keep getting it out. But man, uh, what a blessing to submit to God's perfect law, which is a law of liberty mm-hmm. that sets us free to live with each other in the best way possible. The other thing I like about verse 12 is so speak and so act. This is another theme in James where it's, you're not just saying the right thing. You have to go do the mm-hmm. right thing. We talked about that in chapter one. Don't only be hearers, but also be doers of the word. And we'll actually get into some more about uh, that specific thing in verses 14 and on, Lord willing, in the next podcast. But for now, we also want to talk about verse 13. Um, Unfortunately, this is a pretty misquoted passage sometimes. But in its context, I think it's really powerful. For judgment, it says, will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is really kind of a theme we've talked about in other seasons of HBG Bible Talks, where Jesus will make the point, if you're somebody that doesn't show mercy... And guess what? (laughs) It's going to be hard for people to show mercy to you, especially the Lord. Think about how merciful the Lord has been to you. 
And think about that when you're having a hard time showing mercy to someone else. If you're being tempted to be partial, to treat them in a way that is unholy, remember, the Lord's been merciful with you as well. And so remember that mercy triumphs over judgment. And you could just draw that back to the illustration that James gave in those first seven verses. What they need to do in those moments is not judge them based off of their outward appearance, but rather show mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment in those moments. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that he's using mercy and judgment in almost a couple different senses here, where he's saying judgments without mercy to the one who's shown no mercy. I mean, Jesus said to pray, forgive our sins as we forgive others who uh, have sinned against us. Um, and so we think about like standing before God. We're going to stand before his judgment. But we need to be careful that we don't become the judge. We need to show mercy, like you mentioned, when we judge other people or stop judging other people is the idea. Um, what, going back to verse uh, 4 where he says, you've become judges with evil thoughts. Stop with that. Mercy should triumph over that kind of judgment. You show mercy to people like God's shown mercy to you. Otherwise, God will not show mercy to you. And I mean, we can insert here all the teaching on Jesus. You know, blessed are the merciful, for right. they shall show mercy. The parable of the unforgiving servant that we talked about in the Beatitudes, where he was forgiven by the king, an incredibly astronomical, unpayable debt, would not forgive his fellow servant. Um, all that's wrapped up here in verse 13. But it's applied to the context of prejudice, that um, if we don't want God to be partial against us, don't be partial against your fellow man. Here's the other thing I really like about this verse, especially this phrase. Let's say even on paper you got it right about that person or whatever that like, yeah, they are involved in those things that are not right um, or whatever. You got the judgment side right. If you come in there with the wrong attitude and are not showing mercy, even though on paper you're right, you're wrong because of the way that you're treating them. And so I think this principle should be calling through our heads as, as we go to talk to somebody who's dealing with something hard or maybe have, have gotten themselves in a situation they shouldn't be in. Mercy triumphs over judgment in those moments. Be sure to, to show them the love and mercy of Christ in those moments as you help correct them and, and see the, the error or, or flaw in them. Because that's how I want people to treat me. Um, I hope people can be merciful with me as they show me and as people have had to show me the wrong and the sin in my life that I need to correct. Yeah. And may God just help us to see this particular sin in its context. Um, you know, I mean, our world is talking a lot about these kinds of things right now. And I think there's a lot of important discussions to have about uh, partiality and prejudice. And we want to be people of the book. We want to be people who follow the the truth of the gospel. We want to be in step with the truth of the gospel because the gospel is about God's salvation for people of every nation, tribe, and language. And we want to be people who treat people of every nation, tribe, and language Amen. with the love of Jesus. And um, it's easy for, for sin to creep in. We've got to be on guard against this, but this is a, a beautiful section for us to meditate on and read and, and apply. All right. Well, Lord willing, next week we're going to get into verse 14 and through the end of the chapter where there is the famous section on faith and works, kind of how those two things go hand in hand and how they work together. And so, Lord willing, we'll get to talk about that next week. Yes, if you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, uh, leave us a rating or a review. Um, we'd love to study with you. If you have questions about what we're talking about or other Bible questions, um, 717-585-0949. You can text or call us there or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, check us out online at capitalcitychristians.com. 
Thanks so much for listening.